Good evening. I hope that you're well. I'm all right. Um, well, I say good evening. Depends when you're listening to this. Obviously, thank you very much for listening in the first place. Um, I hope that you've had a good um couple of weeks since uh we last caught up, and thank you to a couple of people who um emailed in um, from the last episode um when I was discussing LGBT terminology. Um. And it was nice to hear back from people. Um, a couple of emails I had um, saying that they'd experienced similar things of um, accidentally, you know, kind of using the wrong term, but not meaning to. Um, as I mentioned, that I had had a discussion with someone where I had, um, you know, um, accidentally just assumed their gender identity because of their first name. Um, and that was, you know, a learning experience for me. So a couple of people have emailed in saying they had a similar experience, which is good. And that's part of all the, you know, the, the, the conversation, the dialogue that I was hoping to open in the first place. So thank you very much to those people who've, who've listened and emailed in. Always appreciated. Um, so a couple of little things, just general um, chit chat to get us started. Uh, I did mention last time, I think. Um, that I had just started watching on Becoming a God in Central Florida with Kirsten Dunst on Netflix. Finished it. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, I think it was due to be renewed for a second series, but because of the COVID pandemic, I think um, work on the second series was cancelled. But oddly enough, it didn't really bother me. I think it works quite well as a one-off um, miniseries. I think that it ends in a way that has enough closure and enough ambiguity to work. Um, but I, I can't recommend it enough. It's one of the best things I've seen in a long, long time. Just wonderful on every level. And particularly her performance is just outstanding. Um, a friend of mine has just introduced me to Disney Plus as well. Uh, and um, I have started watching, because I realised I'd never finished the final series of Scandal, which is, I know I like to exaggerate, but the most overacted television show I think I've ever seen. It's like Desperate Housewives, but in politics. Um, that's how I'd describe it anyway. But if you've seen it, you'll know what I mean, or you need to watch it to know what I mean. But every single word is so overpronounced and elongated like that, just to really show that, like, um, you know, a piece of dialogue is important. It's just it's just so odd that that's the kind of the director's choice that every single actor on the show does that. But anyway, it's you know you don't really have to use your brain to watch it. It's enjoyable. Um, and then uh, I know I mentioned last time the the Britney Spears um, scenario that you know situation that was happening, and since then um, a judge has come out and not supported her in the removal of the conservatorship. Although I think that she's going ahead and um, submitting kind of more legal paperwork to get that done. And her sister has come out in support of her since, and her mother has since come out and said that she deserves, um, Brittany deserves a lawyer of her choosing. So um, I'm sure that will be ongoing for, for a long time, that, that particular story. Um, I know last time it was towards the end of Pride Month in June, um, and... I have spoken at length before um, about, you know, using this podcast and using this as a way to open up conversations around, um, you know, the LGBT community and particularly around mental health in, in men 
um, and in the LGBT community as well. Um, and I've mentioned before as well my relationship with a member of the Mormon church before. And um, I've been unsure how to broach that really uh, for a number of reasons. And I am going to look in more detail at that and, and the relationship and my relationship with the church um, over the next couple of episodes. But um, I'm going to start talking about that today because um, I reading around a couple of things in the news, one around um, a young man in Spain called Samuel Lewis, um, who was murdered um, early on in the month. Um, he's not Mormon. However, my reading around that then took me to some um, news about the Mormon church and about their relationship with conversion therapy um, and the um, legislation around that all around the world, but particularly in America at the moment. So um, just to go back for a moment to Samuel uh, Lewis, I'm really sorry if I've, if I've pronounced his surname wrong, um, but Samuel um, it was 24 years old and on the 3rd of July, um, he was um, leaving a nightclub um, in Spain and um, he was on his phone and a man thought that um, Samuel was filming him and started to throw various homophobic slurs at him, calling him a faggot, etc. And um, later returned with 12 other men um, and followed Samuel and beat him and essentially beat him to death. And he died in hospital later on that, that night. Um, and only three of them have been arrested and the judge on the case, even though they are waiting for further footage from um, cameras nearby and from people with cell phones, etc., the judges deemed it not a hate crime. Um, and this has been all over the, the, the social media that I follow, uh, which I've mentioned before, like diversify our narrative um, and on Instagram. And it's this case... Uh, it just seems mind boggling that this type of thing still happens that, you know, one young man, 24, works in a care home out with friends, gets beaten by 12 men to death. And yet it's not deemed a hate crime. Um, and it's it's just appalling, one, that it happens, but two, that it's that it's not then followed up. I mean, what else, what other type of crime can it possibly be, um, you know, when when he's being called these things and it is hunted down by 12 men. Um, and from my reading around that particular story, I then um, came across uh, stories in the news at the moment about the ongoing debate and controversy around conversion therapy. Um, now, it's quite, uh, you know, topical and timely with having been Pride Month last month. Um, and conversion therapy, if you don't know, is the notion or practice with therapy that um, homosexuality can be cured, essentially, and that can be changed in people. And um, it was initially, um, what's the better word, initially suggested, created as a therapy by a man called Joseph Nicolosi um, and he advocated for it and he claimed that he could cure or that, that there was a cure for homosexuality and he worked with the National Socially 
sorry, the National Association Research and Therapy of, of Homosexuality. Um, and he's about 70 years old now. But um, he wrote a book in 1993 actually called Healing Homosexuality. Um, and at the moment in the USA, 19 states have banned conversion therapy. 22 states are currently trying to pass laws and legislation to ban it. And in 13 states, there is no law. There's no legislation at all. So conversion therapy is completely legal in 13 states of America. Now, um, Stonewall, stonewall.org.uk, and I will put a link to that website in the show notes, um, they've done some research into conversion therapy, uh, particularly in the UK. And on their website, their statement around conversion therapy, just an overview about it, um, they state, and obviously I agree with this, no one should be told that their identity is something that can be cured. Yet many lesbian, gay, bi and trans people are being poorly treated by health and social care services, including by staff who believe that sexual orientation or gender identity is something that can be cured. On the basis of this and wider evidence, we are calling for the general and central government to publicly condemn this practice and take further steps to ensure that this practice is unavailable. We are also calling for health and social care leaders and regulators to communicate a clear message to psychotherapists and counsellors that trying to cure lesbian, gay, bi, trans people is both harmful and dangerous. Now, at the moment in the UK, I know I just mentioned some um, laws and facts in the US, but in the UK, um, in 2018, Theresa May um started work to end it as part of an LGBT um, legal um, kind of legislation that she was putting together. And as of March 2021, so March of this year, it still hadn't come into effect. And so three members of the team quit the body and Stonewall, and that I just referenced, basically accused the government of dragging its feet and taking too long to um, put this law into effect um, and um, there is a hashtag ban conversion therapy and a Instagram um, account um, ban conversion therapy that uh, details the um, the last couple of years of this and, and what is still not really being put into place by the government at all. Um, I think that when you read around it it seems that maybe I'm being cynical, but the government have potentially used um, the COVID pandemic as a way to um, conveniently not meet and talk about this particular issue. Maybe I'm wrong, but there we go. Um, I'm just going to play you a clip. Um, there's an interview with a man called um, Joe Hyman, and he's now an activist um, particularly against conversion therapy. And BBC News did an investigation into conversion therapy um, earlier on in the year. And this is an interview with him. I'll just play you part of it so you can listen. And this is him giving his experience of conversion therapy and um, what, what impact it had on him, basically. The impact of spending three years in conversion therapy meant that I lost key parts of my life. I lost the ability to experience joy, 
happiness and, and calm. I realised I was gay quite young um, and didn't see anyone like me in the community that I grew up in. I found a website online offering new alternatives to homosexuality. At the time I thought, oh wow, a solution. So Joe is, as you just heard there, um, he is Jewish. So conversion therapies happens, you know, across denominations and, and across faiths. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not at all in this episode going to say that it's just the Mormon faith that um, partly advocate for it. And I also just want to state before I go any further that anything that, you know, I, I mention are, you know, purely my experiences, purely my research, you know, my opinions in part. Um, and that I will you know, elaborate on this and my relationship with the Mormon church and my experiences of it in more detail over the, the you know, episodes that in the future. Um, but just give you some background around the Mormon faith and their relationship with homosexuality and conversion therapy. So in the 1970s, um, the Mormon church, so the Latter-day Saints, um, did feel, so in the 1970s, that homosexuality was something that could be cured um, and people could um, be excommunicated from the church, so essentially kicked out, asked to leave um, if they were in a, a same-sex relationship or marriage. So, for example, when I was with my partner, um, it was quite odd that people seemed generally, I say seemed, on the face of it seemed okay with it, that we were just together, because I think they could kind of um, uh, ignore the fact that we were a couple, that maybe they just felt that, you know, they could... Um, put their head in the sands and believe that we were just friends, if that makes sense. But it was very clear and understood by the both of us. He was Mormon, I wasn't, I was just with him. Um, that if we kind of made it formal, lived together, got married, had children, anything like that, that he would have, he would be excommunicated and he would have to leave the church. And that kind of, you know, understandably was, you know, very difficult for him. Um, but that's essentially, you know, um, how the biggest factor in, in why in why we broke up and fell apart and we were together for about three three and a half four years um, and there were various you know events and situations throughout throughout that in terms of the church um uh being quite um insidious in in how we were treated one that stands out to me that the most was and I will go into this in more detail in, in further episodes, but um their um kind of different leaders of different parts of the church. So a stake leader, so one particular man who looked after the stake of Liverpool, um uh, my partner was called into a meeting um and basically asked about me um, and asked about our relationship in a meeting one on one between my ex and the stake leader um, for about three hours. He was interviewed about me. Um, <clears throat> and I had, uh, you know, not come from a religious background at all, really. Um, and that was incredibly difficult for me to get my head around. 
one that um, someone that I'd never met felt they had the right to um, question, you know, who we were as a couple, to question our relationship, um, you know, to really imply, well, maybe not even imply, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but, you know, to, to felt like imply that, um, you know, I was um, kind of going to lure him away from the church and his faith and being a good person, because I think it's, there is an assumption, I think, from my experience with uh, the Mormon church, that anything that is um, kind of away from white, straight, male, is deemed as sinful. Um, so homosexuality has got an instant link with alcoholism and drink and drugs and sex and nightclubs and all type of things naughty. Um, and that was very clear to me from the conversations that I had and the people that I met. Not everybody, and I want to make that very, very clear. Um, a number of people I met and got to know over the years that we were together, genuinely lovely people, um, and, and some of them I, you know, I do miss, I became friends with, but there was an ignorance, a huge ignorance um, and assumption around what um, being gay was and is. And the idea that someone had felt they had the right to actually interrogate um, someone on their relationship and their sexuality is, to me, just were just just blew my mind. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't put it into words. I couldn't understand it at all. Um, the Mormon church has been um, in the news lately for a number of things. And it shows to me, again, just the, um, the, the ignorance around their understanding of social issues. And a lot of the things that I talk about on this podcast are to do with shame and the feeling of shame that people feel. And uh, for me, that one of the reasons I'm not particularly religious is I um, I feel that a lot of religion is rooted in um, almost making people feel ashamed of things that they do. And that to me is, is completely um, juxtaposed with what religion is meant to stand for. It's meant to be good, it's meant to be pure, it's meant to be um, supportive. And quite a lot of my experiences of it are the complete opposite of that. So, for example, um, a man called James Huntsman in America, he at the moment is actually going through legal proceedings to sue the Latter-day um, Saints and the Mormon Church in Salt Lake City um, for fraud, claiming that the tithing that he pays, which is around 10% of a wage if you're a Mormon, um, has not been used for charitable purposes or going back into the church as it is meant to. And a Mormon called Lisa Butterworth, or she was a Mormon, she was excommunicated because of her job and she was a sex therapist. And so she was excommunicated by the church because of her career, um, which they didn't see as being, you know, fitting with, with their um, way, I suppose. And she's really interesting to read about. I would, I would thoroughly suggest you go and read about her online, Lisa Butterworth. And she talks very openly about how um, there is a huge shame within the Mormon church around relationships, around sex, around anything LGBT, and that that shame then filters down into its congregation, 
of course it would. You know, you're being taught from a young age that being gay, any type of sexual or sexuality is wrong. Um, and that, um, you know, if you've, if you've seen the Book of Mormon, the musical, it's made into a joke, the idea that the, um, the end game, for want of a better word, for Mormon faith or Mormon people is that when they die, they will um, have their own planet. And it's, there's a very funny song about it. But, um, you know, my partner was fully aware that if he went down the path of homosexuality and being gay and being with me in a couple, then he would not be with his family in the afterlife because it was so sinful. And that was something that was incredibly difficult to watch him deal with, but was incredibly difficult for me to be a part of because one, it was just fucking mental that that is what people are taught, but it was also very hard um, for me to, for me to feel that I was putting him on that path, if that makes sense, that I was going to be the person that made him not get into heaven with his family. That was a huge mind fuck for me to try and understand and the fallout from the relationship and everything that I went through in the faith with him has taken me a long time to really reflect on and understand and reflect on and it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book and it's one of the reasons that I write essays about it and it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast um, and that I will continue to talk about it in more detail than I have done um, over the next series of, of episodes. Um, again, I also just want to state that anything that I'm talking about here is my experience, it's my relationship that I've had with the church and people in it, and it's not that this is every single person and every single experience at all. Um, so I just want to make that very clear. But um, going back to what I was talking about before, so um, in the 1970s, the Mormon faith did agree that homosexuality was something that could be cured. And um, Utah in America, the state, um, they have been proposing a ban on conversion therapy. Fine. And the Latter-day Saints in Salt Lake City, they have recently come out opposing the ban of conversion therapy after saying that they would support it. So they did a complete 180 U-turn. Um, and lots of people have come out and condemned them for the change um, of opinion. And in statements that have been released from the church, they've said that on reflection, and this is a quote, they think that um, by removing the ban on conversion therapy, it will, quote, fail to safeguard religious beliefs. That essentially by not banning conversion therapy, that religious points of view will then be at risk. Well, what about, you know, the members of, of the gay community and the LGBT community that are at risk every single day or whatever? Um, the, the church has also said that they hope, and this, this statement angers me so much, the church has said they hope that those who experience same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria find compassion. I'm just going to break that down. So they refer to homosexuality 
anyone in the LGBT community as either same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. So um, if you think about, you know, body dysmorphia, that is a mental illness, um, it's, you know, it's, it's where you um, suffer with your weight and your appearance and you think that you look larger than you are, thinner than you are, bigger than you are, fatter than you are, whatever. And, you know, it's something that a lot of people have in varying degrees. So they're claiming that um, anyone who is, the, the church here is claiming that anyone who, you know, um, maybe identifies as non-binary, gender fluid, um, anything like that, any of those statements that I defined last episode suffer from gender dysphoria. So essentially anyone who is non-binary is mentally ill. Anyone who doesn't identify as cis and, you know, kind of the, the sex and gender that they were born with is mentally ill, has dysphoria. Okay. And they also call it same-sex attraction. So they don't use the word gay, lesbian, bi, anything like that. They call it something completely different. Same-sex attraction. Almost as if they're trying to, through words, remove even the notion of what, what it is. You know, it's, they can't even get their heads around what it possibly could be. It's same-sex attraction. It's, you know, it's an illness that can be cured. And um, Dallin H. Oaks, who's a key leader in the church... Um, he says that um, identifying as the gender that you are given at birth is, and I quote again, essential to the plan of salvation. So essentially, if you um, identify as anything other than the gender and sex that you were born with, then what you go against the plan of salvation, so you're going to go to hell. Great. And that um, he, and again, quote, doesn't know why same-sex attraction occurs. Well, because it does, because that's just what a person is. You are gay, lesbian, non-binary, whatever, and people can switch and change throughout their entire life as they're allowed to. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean conversion therapy should still go ahead. You dick, but whatever. Um, if I met this person, I don't know what on earth, I, I, I don't know how I would respond to them. But to put that vocabulary out into the world, into your community, into your congregation, into young children's minds in a religious, what should be hopeful setting is just so insidiously wrong. Um, it just angers me so much. And it's... it's um, I've been in situations like that in Mormon masses um, and it, that is something I will speak about at length in, 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 in another episode. But this is, it's real and it happens and conversion therapy insidiously happens, I think, not just in a kind of designated conversion therapy hour, for want of a better word, but in everyday conversation and in everyday practice and in, in everyday slurs and scriptures that are, you know, contextually um, twisted into meaning something that they don't. And it's, it's so dangerous. Um, just a couple of facts about it. So in Utah, there's an outreach resource centre in, in Utah and they took... Um, a cross-section of 1,000 homeless youth in Utah. 40% of the homeless people that they spoke to were part of the LGBT community. 20% of that were Mormon. 
So 20% of the homeless LGBT community in Utah are Mormon. And three quarters, when interviewed, say that they would, they felt that they needed to leave the state of Utah and Salt Lake City in particular to be accepted and to have a better life. Now, you can't tell me that the church is then doing something right if that high percentage of people um, are homeless. And there's got to be a connection there between your faith and how um, your community around you respond to you because of your sexuality. Um, you know, it pulls families apart and it pulls people out of their religion. And it it's, it's I just can't believe it, it still happens. Um, the California Proposition 8 from 2008, which if you're not sure, was a proposition to ban same-sex marriage in the state of California. Um, unsurprisingly, the Mormon church was fully behind it. Um, and it was initially passed in November of 2008 that same-sex marriage would be banned, but it was later overturned. But, um, and this is shocking, but um, 50% of the um, uh, support into banning same-sex marriage, so into, you know, um, kind of door-to-door campaigning, 50% of the campaign money supporting Proposition 8, so supporting the ban of same-sex marriage in California, 50% of the campaign money came from the Mormon church. And former Mormon Dunstan Lance Black wrote a play about it called Eight in 2011 um, and looked at how the Proposition 8 uh, was overturned and actually didn't go into law at all, thank God. Um, But you only need to go back to the fact that still in 13 states of America, there's no law protecting anyone from being forced into conversion therapy to see that we're a long way from any type of... um, you know, equality and for it being ended, you know, at all. Now, thinking about um, worldwide, so a lot of countries have um, a ban or at least a partial ban. So, for example, parts of America have a ban on conversion therapy, but not all. So uh, Canada, Malta, um, Germany, people under 18 only, though, um, can't be forced into conversion therapy, Mexico, parts of Australia. So, you know, parts of the world are supportive of um, not supporting conversion therapy, but there's there's a long way to go quite clearly. Um, to read about it in a bit more detail and to, you know, educate yourself on this issue a bit more, um, I would fully recommend reading a book or a memoir rather called Boy Erased, which is made into a film as well with Nicole Kidman. Um, I will put a link in the show notes to the Stonewall website so you can go and read a little bit more about it. There's the Instagram um, platform at Ban Conversion Therapy and the hashtag that goes with that. And there's a number of films and documentaries on Netflix as well that I would thoroughly suggest that you watch. So there is a disclosure documentary which looks at trans rights that I've mentioned before. There's a documentary that will be coming soon called Pray Away, which um, premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival early on in the year. Uh, There's a documentary called um, Hating Peter Thatchwell, um, which looks, which he's an activist, and it looks at his um, 
treatment in the media and in his local community for being an activist for the LGBT community. And there's a film called I Am Michael, which is based on a real life um, man who um, goes through his relationship with his sexuality and faith um, and then kind of his activism in, in response to that. Um, so I will continue to talk about my relationship with the Mormon Church um, over the next couple of episodes. And this is just an introduction to that, really. Um, but I thought it would be quite interesting to bring that in with with how the, the kind of relevant stories at the moment, particularly around Mormon Church and their connection to conversion therapy in the LGBT community. Um, just one final point about it here in the UK, even though... Um, it's still not been put into law here yet um, because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the government seems to be dragging its heels on it a little bit. It is banned by the NHS and there is a document called the Memorandum of Understanding that you can read online, which is signed by the NHS, um, which um, looks at the banning of, of conversion therapy here in the UK. So um, I mentioned before that um, I... I'm a little bit obsessed with Taylor Swift. We've played a game called One Degree of Taylor Swift before, quite a few times actually. So I thought we'd have a go of it today. So um, I've gone through emails and I've pulled out just a couple of, of words. So if you've not heard before, so I have asked people to email in just a random word because I'm convinced that every single time I can link it back to Taylor Swift in one degree rather than the six degrees of separation um, game that's played. So One Degree Taylor Swift. So the three words I've got this week that I've pulled out of emails are hospital, clothes and Easter. So, hospital, um, in the song Out of the Woods on the 1989 album, she references is um, a accident um, and um, sitting with someone in a hospital room um, and kind of watching them sleep and then watching them wake up. Um, one person emailed in um, clothes so loads of things. She wrote a song called Dress for the Reputation album. Um, she uh, wrote a song called Style um, and kind of uses that as an analogy for kind of fashion style and how a relationship never goes out of style. Um, and then another person um, gave the word Easter um, and she's known for Easter eggs through songs, lyrics, videos, everything. So little hints of things that are coming. So for example, she quite often gives Easter eggs out to hint a new release or um, a collaboration or um, kind of little links between songs and the you know, kind of tapestry of her music. So for example, um, the number five is quite often used as an Easter egg. So in the Delicate video from the Reputation album, the number five is shown because it's the fifth song on the album, but also um, if you are a Swifty, you will know that the fifth track on each album tends to be one that is particularly um, personal and deals with relationships. Um, it's also referenced in the You Need to Calm Down album, where um, one person fires, I think it's Hayley Kuroko, fires a... Um, uh, I was going to say blade then, that's completely the wrong word, archery, um, um, arrow at the number five and that then references, references the fact that on the Lover album the fifth track is called The Archer. So there we go.
Um, if you want to send in some more words for another go of Wonder Greer Taylor Swift, please do. And then I always finish by t- mentioning one thing I've done that week, one time I dated a Mormon, one thing I've done that week. So two things this week, actually. So um, completely doesn't goes against one that I've just said, but there we go. So one thing is um, I, for the first time in ages, was able to take my niece and nephew out for the day, which is lovely because obviously I've seen them and kept in contact with them over the pandemic, but I've not been able to have that one-to-one time with them. So I took them out last week. We went to the circus, um, which was great fun. And they really loved it. Um, and I enjoyed it as well. But to be honest with you, I spent the entire time just watching my nephew's face and his reaction and his gasps and his smiles and his like um, shock and awe at everything. It was so cute. But that was really nice. I loved being able to do that. And then today, actually, um, for the first time in my entire life, 34 years, um, I've just been sent flowers for the first time in my life by uh, an amazing friend of mine, Amy, for absolutely no reason, apart from the fact that she's just lovely, sent me flowers in the post just because. So thank you very much to Amy. That's the first time that's ever happened to me. Um, and they are currently in my living room, vased up. So thank you very much to her. Um, so if you have any questions, any follow-up thoughts, um, if you are a member of the Mormon Church, if you, you know, you may follow the podcast because of the title. If you've left the Mormon Church, if you have questions, thoughts, experiences, please email in. I do answer questions as I have done before. If you have um, a concern that I've said something that's incorrect, please tell me and I will act on that um, in a future episode. Um, have a lovely week. Thank you very much.